0: Hi there, I'm Mandy Yarkic from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories, to help you on your own creative journey. Welcome to Creative Matters episode 11. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I'm talking to Emma springford She Emma grew up in West Auckland, New Zealand and has lived in Huapai for the last 11 years with her husband, three kids, dog, cat and a handful of fish. Making art, drawing specifically, has always been a great part of Emma's life. She loves drawing and finds it a raw and immediate form of expression. She uses drawing as a tool for documenting objects and interiors that surround her. Ink and brush is her favourite medium, but really anything will do in her eyes. Embroidery is another medium Emma embraces as a form of drawing. She finds working with fabric and stitched line such a raw and feminine way to explore an object or idea. Emma's also been working on ship portrait paintings for the last few years, exploring the nostalgic relationships New Zealanders have with sailing and shipping vessels. Emma is a very effervescent, hard-case personality who loves a good laugh. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of her stories. A big warm welcome to Creative Matters, Emma. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. How are you? Good, it's really nice to be out on this amazing night. It's so beautiful. It's incredibly still, isn't it? Very. Yeah, and this is the latest podcast I've done. It's about, um, what is it, 8.30. So we've got a wine and uh, we're ready to go. Ready to get wild. Well, okay, so uh, let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us about your childhood, where you grew up, Um, something about your family and if you were a creative child?
1: Well I've been thinking about this. I grew up in Swanson. I was born in Solomon Islands in Gizo and my mum says we spent a lot of time when I was a baby jumping on, on and off boats and we moved here to New Zealand to Swanson when I was about six months old and I guess at that time Schooling, there wasn't a lot of after-school programs, there wasn't a lot of art programs, and there wasn't much focus on different subjects at school. But, in saying that, I did like to make a good poster. And um, for a short time, I did get picked to be part of a drawing group, and we used to sit around for like one afternoon a week and go and draw different bits around the school. And that was really, really cool. And that was the first time I probably ever thought about the idea of art being a thing mm. and being a thing which took you out of something and put you in a different place so that you could explore or investigate mm. different objects,
0: I guess. Yeah. And yeah. so was that, that was sort of encouragement coming from school, which is great. Did you um, have the same sort of encouragement from your mum and dad? Oh, yeah,
1: totally, totally. Um, I guess a lot of the thing is, when I, especially when I see with my own kids, card making a lot of that is a really creative outlet for kids. And I did make a lot of cards. My mum had a box of them which she pulled out recently. And I signed them all from Sarah.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: that was my name. I renamed myself mm. when I was a child.
0: Oh my god. So. It's not a not an alter ego, just No, it just just Do you a like renaming. Name?
1: So I had a set of books that actually had Sarah with brackets Emma on the front of them. I love it. And a big pile of cards that my mum kept, which as a mum I now make a really big effort to throw things out mm. every now and then. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. But pretty cool that she kept all your stuff. It is cool. It, yeah. is cool. it is cool. It is so when you get given a box of stuff, and you go, here you go. And you're like, oh. Gee, thanks. Yep. Yeah. What do I do with this? And so what sort of childhood did you have? Um, well, I'm a third, the middle child of three. And we spend quite a bit of time at the, at the beach Camping and just kind of running around the neighbourhood, I guess. Kind of getting into lots of different bits and pieces. I had a friend who taught me how to sew when I was about 10 on her sewing machine. Um, and that's probably about all that I could really connect with.
0: Mm, at the moment, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. my mum
1: was a teacher. My father was an engineer. And we just kind of did what we did really. Mm, Yeah. We had a bunch of stuff and always having bits of equipment or paper around and paints and things
0: Mm. just to have a go with. And And, And did you get into art once you started high school?
1: Yeah, I think going to high school was really interesting because it was the first time, it was probably the second time when I went, oh, you can do art as a subject. And then it is still really different going to high school and dealing with art than what it was at primary school. Because mm. at primary school it's something you would get told to make a product, and at high school you get taught a process to get the product which they which they want. And so, learning about the different processes and how you can how you can progress with something, and you start with a base and then working up to a final outcome of a painting or a photograph or a print as well. Mm. Um, and I did that all the way through. And I thought when I got to 7th form, I got to this option where I was like, I'm either going to go and be an artist or I'll go and do a a science thing. But I ended up getting into art school, so I was like, great, that's it.
0: So good. And you went to AUT, did a visual arts degree there. Yeah,
1: it was a four-year course. First year being um, an intermediate year, which was in Ponsonby. And that was really wild, coming in from Henderson Every day going into Ponsonby and kind of these really old, mouldy, falling-down villas and creating amongst all these other people and having that freedom as well to manage your time and to use different materials and sourcing things out Mm. and kind of be able to explore different ideas through the guidance and kind of looking at what the seniors were doing at the same time to kind of go, actually, as long as you can do it, you can do anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find that? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did enjoy it. It was, um,
1: it was just an amazing amount of freedom. And then every now and then having to be brought back to reality of having to get a finished set of work or having to do paperwork or write an essay was always really tricky for me to get my head around. Mm. And so the creative process was amazing. And you could sit there fumbling along in the creative process for such a long time before you have to go and zone in on something. To click onto it, I think I spent maybe a term painting painting my fingernails and painting other people's fingernails. And that's kind of what art school was a bit like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, how old are you? 20,
1: early 20s. Oh, I was started when I was like 17. So oh, wow. it was this whole growth thing, thing mm-hmm. of just actually having this amazing space that you could do anything with and people could come and go and you had your stuff there.
0: Mm.
1: So we weren't carrying all our gear around anywhere. Yeah, We had a little home to go to, to sip away at drinks and nip off to the pub and to pop out and buy materials. And do a bit of art in between. Do a bit of art in between and to book in with amazing tutors. You kind of chose the ones that you liked, that you wanted to talk to. And so you could have a great conversation and a good relationship mm. to help you explore other ideas and move forward.
0: And did you know what kind of thing you wanted to get into when you started? Or, you know, how long did that kind of start to come together for you? I started off thinking about printmaking because I
1: love printmaking. But for me, the process in printmaking, I find I get stuck a little bit with that. Just the different steps with it. And at any step, it can change. So for me, I started, I went into painting because it was a lot more immediate and you could get something down on paper or onto board. And that could then be a finished thing rather than with print. The the whole process can, as a whole, is a massive part of it. So you have to have the concept and the process a lot faster. Mm. Which appeals to some people, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and not necessarily to others.
1: I'm a procrastinator, last minute girl. So actually being able to do something in the last minute up till three in the
0: morning works really well for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so so what sort of stuff were you actually painting at that point? I mean, can you see what you're doing now was starting to take shape in those days? Or? Oh, nothing at all, nothing at all. Um I didn't actually paint for my final thing.
1: I did a series of blown up texts as big as I could get them because I was obsessed with photocopying and um and made a series of dioramas to go with them to go with the text, and they were based on Mills and boom books, so I took out the juiciest pages because I loved that whole genre and that whole thing of this is the whole thing that people love and they're seriously involved in it and these authors make so much money and they put out so many books and everyone reads them but you always pretend you don't and you can always buy so many of them at op shops. So I had a bit of an amnesty where everyone would just bring me their books and I would rip out the pages that I wanted to, that I chose and and I'd alter them and then blow them up really, really big. And then the dioramas I made were in shoeboxes on the wall with lights shining down on them and they were from the covers of books. So it's kind of setting the scene or setting a romantic scene that was in there that you could like peep in it. Like you're mm. peeping through voyeuristically peeping through a window, mm. which is kind of what a book is really.
0: Yeah, Cool. Yeah. And it
1: wasn't until I went to teachers college and I started teaching that then I kind of went, ah, oh, this is how you draw. This is how you look at something and you break it down and you start with your shapes and you go from there because up until that place, because I've been able to explore so much different stuff, I kind of hadn't really got my technical, that technical basics done. Mm. Which I was kind of blown away by when I went, oh,
0: is this what you do? <laughs> yeah. So what, what was it? Were you teaching art at secondary school after your, after your course?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did it. I took a year off. I was trying to find a job doing something else. And then thought, well, teachers college, you know, why not? And I was in Christchurch. So I did it down there. And we'd again had a great time, met some amazing people, um, and learned how to draw. Mm, we'll so draw an object representation. Yeah, so, was
0: that just like an art, an art paper that you were doing at Teachers College? Or just because well, it was only one year, wasn't it, for you?
1: Yeah, it was only one year because I already had a degree. And it was our whole class, all the lessons, most of the lessons I did were about art, relating to art teaching. And then a few of them I did were about behavioural. There was, I think, one class with behaviour stuff. There right. was a technology class. Yeah. So, basically, the bulk of my class was about art and various aspects of it, with looking at composition mm. and lesson plans and planning units mm. and writing things and breaking down those really basic steps and mm. trying to teach class classrooms of kids how to make fish out of bamboo.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, that you um, that you feel like it was that training co- at teachers' college that you really got that. Um, instruction for for drawing or really sort of clicked with the process of drawing written and not at your not when you were doing your degree, I think part of that was because for
1: myself, I can take a while to kind of sit down and put my head to something and so for me, if it didn't come easily i'd do i am really happy to do a quick sketch, but for if it didn't if I had to sit down there and think about it, especially in a room full of other people. I would just kind of instead of doing a picture, doing drawing whatever was there, focus on other things around it, like the patterns or something like that. And so I kind of opted opted out by myself. And then when I had to teach it, there's no opting out when you got thirty kids sitting there, mm. going, "How do I do this?" So it was really interesting, but I don't think I think also with my degree because it was visual arts and it didn't come from a structured. Back, um, kind of I guess AUT, it was ASA, they didn't have the same sort of canoness ingrained as what Elam and Ilam had. So we didn't have that same basis. It was a lot more loose and free in that sense. Mm. We didn't have to yeah. knuckle down and learn how to paint things or learn how to draw things. Mm. We kind of went moved in and out freely.
0: Which, which was is, great. It was great, yeah. yeah. It sounds like it would have suited you Oh, it was perfect, more probably than something too structured, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was perfect, it was perfect. yeah. yeah. And so how did you find the teaching, teaching art? was that was that sort of inspiring for you and your own creative practice, or, um, I don't think I was painting much at that point.
1: I think I'd done a couple of things. I was more, there was a group called Jersey, and they were doing a one-year event at Westme Beach between the tides and it was a pop-up exhibition for just a day in between high tide and high tide. And so I did that then and I ended up sewing stitching balloons, stitching balloon covers to attach to bamboo so then they could bobble around in the wind. Like big like big, really obscure bobbly balls on poles. Cool. So it kind of when I was teaching I wasn't making a lot of artwork except for things that I could make as one off. Like that for between the tides. Mm. And that was amazing because in the next year you wouldn't have to do anything. And then two weeks beforehand, think about something that would look amazing and colourful and be able to stand up in the sand that was mostly rock.
0: Mm. That's quite a cool project.
1: Yeah. They're still doing it. It still goes on. And I just, I just went to the last one recently and it was rainy. And if it was rainy, it just still happens. You just have to bring a really good raincoat mm. and stand in the rain
0: while everyone comes and has a look. That's so great. I've never heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how did you find teaching? Um, I really enjoyed it. It was
1: fine. It was a lot of work. I am, as I said, a procrastinator. So things like marking used to hang around the boot of my car for quite a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and planning and, yeah. Yeah, the planning, I didn't
1: mind the planning or the researching. And I love the teaching bit in the going, this is what we're going to. and being able to break something down. Mm. That was awesome. And I still look at things and I'm like, oh, we could. Kind of think with the kids' primary school is go, oh, they could do this. And they're like, well, come and do it. And I'm like, oh, I work. Hmm. And it's that whole aspect of it. And that's, I guess for me, yeah, the loving, the bit of being able to teach a skill, being able to try and have some fun with it and to have a really cool relationship with kids. And saying that, I did it for five years and I haven't done it since,
0: so. Yeah. Well, so what did you do after teaching? Where did that take you? Um, I had babies, really. And... um
1: and we moved to Hokitika. So we lived in Hokitika for two years. We lived in Hokitika for two years and having babies. And that just kind of took everything, oh, not really back a notch, it just kind of made everything happen differently. Yeah. So during that time, I learned how to quilt. I went to a quilting class and learned how to make quilts. And that was really cool to do that too, with fabric and colour. Mm. And really, really exact with all the angles. But I've moved away from that now and I just sew cubes. Do you? It's a lot easier.
0: No, I don't know about your
1: sewing cubes. Oh, you have to have a baby and then I'll make a baby quilt well, for you. I've got a
0: grandbaby due in three days. Will that do? <laughs> well,
1: I, I could put something up in three days. Really? Well, yeah. Oh, my goodness. If I've got the inner. It's all about having the stock, the stash, the fabric stash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually, Um, I had to do a really big colour of my fabric stash recently because so much of it, never goes anywhere. It just sits in a suitcase. Mm. And then people also give you fabric when they know you do something with them. And so you end up with people's bags and bags of their old fabric that they don't know what to do with. And I've recently got really good at saying no to more fabric bags. It's just more and more stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but then it must be hard to uh, turn it away. It is hard, but... It is
1: easier not to have it than to than to pick through it and then have to deal with it at the other side. Mm, yeah, It's a bit like grab bags. When people give you grab bags for kids' clothes and you'll pick through it. You go, yes, and you love it. And you get the bag and you open it up and you pick through it and you find two things and everything else. So you're like, oh, now I have to do something with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah so then um, you... We're having your baby. So it sounds like you all the way through you've been kind of creative from when you left school doing various things. Um, so maybe just for the listeners who don't know what you make now or what you've been making over the last years, can you describe your practice sort of overall? I know you do quite a few different things. So can you give us a little bit of a, a taster of of The different things that you do, and then we can go into a bit more detail on each of them. Okay, cool. So I um, do—I used to call it like a kitchen table
1: practice, which is everything had to be able to put out on the kitchen table and then tucked away again before anyone touched it. Um, And then I got my studio, which allowed me to then have a kind of different, a few more different things on the go. So at the moment, I've got my embroidery, which every now and then I'll stitch up a record. And I do hand stitching and sewing, machine stitching to make them. Um, And then I also then I do hand embroidery for picking an artist and doing the kind of the graphics on the in the whole of the record. Um, Those are great because when you need to go somewhere and sit somewhere for quite a while, you can just I can just sit there and tuck away at stitching mindless circles. The other thing, why
0: why records?
1: My husband loves records. He spends a lot of money on records. It's his hobby. It's probably, it's a really good hobby and he really loves it. He'll go to the record shop and buy all these things. So it's a really big thing that's in our house. Um, Having a couple of turntables and a massive pile of records Mm. and it takes up a bit of room and so it's kind of something which is always there. Mm. And I started with it with the first one is we didn't have much money, so as we were making things, so I got my son to make, he made him a record player out of cardboard boxes, and painted it all up and made some speakers out of boxes, and then I was like, well, I should make a record, so that was when I made my first record, about five years ago. Cool. Maybe even longer, and then, um, yeah, every now and then I just keep popping them out, because they are still something which I haven't finished with. Mm. And that's when that big fabric stash comes in handy of trying to get fabrics that worked well together. I tried a gold record one, once, but the gold I have isn't any good for sewing records.
0: <laughs> I can imagine it'd be tricky. Yeah, it just looks like yeah. grandma's curtains. Mm. Yeah. And um, are you actually reproducing records, you know, favourite records or favourite artists, or are you kind of just making up stuff? Um, A
1: bit of both The ones I did I did two records That I framed together For a show About three years ago And those ones It was a show about Evolving Aotearoa And I was like Well records Are kind of always evolving And so The first Sitting side by side um, One of them I called Is after Darcy Clay Jesus I was evil And then the second record I think I can't remember What's in the second one I think it's a Dave Dobbin Mm. Song on the second one For those two that sit side side by side The record I've just done for the um, Art on record exhibition In the pod gallery I kind of made up a band Because I wanted to do a female artist But I couldn't really devote myself To just one of them So I called it Greatest Lady Hits And I thought for me that kind of encompasses A whole lot of women Mm. In there spanning lots of generations Um, and so that was, yeah, I've made it up, but in my head I've got really specific, it's got a really specific come, come back to it. Mm. And I started off doing the A side and that wasn't really working for me with the colours that I was choosing with my embroidery. And again, I ran out of time to unpick everything. And so we're on the B side, which I thought was also quite a nice place to be. Yeah,
0: absolutely. With on the B
1: side. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Some of the other ones I've just been doing are just nothing, they're just like my little mindless records which probably won't be named at all, they're just kind of a meditative colouring in but with a needle and thread. Mm.
0: So the, the embroidery, I mean that's obviously one part of your practice, do you have other things that you embroider apart from the records or is that pretty much it at the moment? That's
1: pretty much it. I was thinking about doing with some of my boats in embroidery. I did do the Black Magic from the America's Cup a few years ago. I did embroider that. What I've found, though, with that is I find with boats, with my ships, at the moment, I'm more interested in painting them. Mm. I have also in the past done a series of tools, which I've embroidered on pillowcases. Mm. And I was reminded of that because I pulled another cupboard and I was like, oh, I'll sleep with that. <laughs> and nice. it's a big wrench. Um, so I think I will go back to doing other things. But at the moment, the records are sitting, working really nicely for yeah. me with embroidery.
0: And you've still got more work to
1: do with those. Yep, absolutely. Mm. I think it's a, like a, a dropping in once a year or twice a year kind of work for me. Mm. Um, and that's a really nice thing. That's a nice place for, to have it yeah. too, because I can just keep coming back and revisiting it.
0: Yeah that's a good thing So um, apart from the embroidery What else do you have As your part of your practice
1: Um, The other thing I've got is I do a lot of drawings with ink and brush Of the interior of my house and my objects Around especially in lockdown That kind of became a really nice thing to do Was just sit there and paint my favourite things Or Mm. things that I found I could paint easily I do have that Aspect of when I'm making a work Is I have to be able to do it I don't want to overachieve myself <laughs> over pitch <laughs> I don't paint people I don't do that that sound for me is a bit more abstract but I can definitely sit down and paint my favourite cup and do a brush out of, of our stereo player I think the innate objects are really interesting especially when they are translated into drawings mm. Yeah, I did used to in the past paint a lot of washing lines just that everyday Monotony, just be able to capture that, and really look at it, and kind of give it its, I guess, put it into the hierarchy that it can be, and maybe I, and maybe as well taking it away from the feminine in house stuff, to elevating it to something worthwhile. Having, mm. I did really love um, a few years ago. I made a little TV screen out of paper with tubes down it so you could turn it and make a picture. So you'd have a really, really long picture. And I did another one of those in lockdown and I'd really love to do build one, another one that works mm. so that you could really easily so you could have it in a gallery space and you could crank the handle and the picture would turn around like the old ones we used mm. to make when we were kids. Yeah. Cool idea. Yes, yeah, so that's that's on the back burner of something to do when I learn a bit more carpentry.
0: Mm.
1: That will happen, I'm yep. sure. Oh, it totally will. Probably yeah. made out of toilet rolls and cardboard boxes, probably.
0: <laughs> but that's great. I mean, you seem like a really resourceful kind of artist. Do you give me that impression? I think part of it is um,
1: being able to get, you know, if you've an idea, it's really nice to be able to just get it done. And there's some, a beauty, I find, in doing things a little bit shabbily, like with tape in a box. We've got all these boxes and they open really nicely and it's quite cool to be able to... Open it up and see something in there that you're not expecting. Mm. And for me as well, I love making artwork out of things which aren't traditionally elevated as art pieces. So instead of having a picture in a frame, having a diorama in a little tea box is something which I find really funny and I think works really well. And I find it, I think a lot of the work I make, I try and have a humorous side to it as well, but also the aesthetic. It's just great Mm. when you can pick it when you can look at something and it's made with a with a cereal box. You're like anyone can do that. It doesn't have to be complicated or a big structure. It doesn't have to be. Mm. It can just be cutting things out and Mm. and using a good bit of PVA.
0: Good bit of PVA. I love PVA. I'm not sure if the listeners can hear my cat, but he's meowing away in the background, but it's all good. So, um, where do you? I mean, you're obviously inspired by interiors and things around you, but where do you get those kind of ideas? Or, you know how how do you come up with with stuff? Is it is it just responding to what's around you in your home, or it, does it go further than that? Um, I think
1: there is an element of catch about it, is with the idea of making everyday objects something more interesting or giving them prominence and putting them on a pedestal. Mm. But a lot of it is just responding to what's around me, and looking at things and going, "Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I could draw that." And then if I like it, I'll draw it again. If I if I draw it and it looks, I'm not happy with it, I'll just go, "Oh, that's a bit hard. I'll I'll I'll, I'll choose something easier next time." <laughs> that
0: sounds a good idea. It's very sensible. <laughs> I know it does seem a little bit of a cop out, but it works really well for me. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever you want to do, I guess. And is it do some of those things become? Sort of a, a mini series, you know, a series of works within within that idea? Yeah,
1: totally. I did a series a couple of years ago, and it was just small objects from around my house, and I found I did them all on the same format, and they worked really, really well together. Hmm. It is interesting though because whenever you have whenever you do something and like I had 12 12 A4 works with pencil, ink and also with paint. Whenever you have, tw- I find whenever I have a series of things, like a 12 of them, there's always about four of them that are a little bit shit, but you can kind of hide it when there's a lot. <laughs> so you're kind of bulking up, bulking up the good work. And if someone comes along and picks out the good one, you're like, oh, that was kind of carrying everything. <laughs> so that's always fun to see which ones were being carried yeah. at the end of the show.
0: But that's very brave of you to put in something that you think could be a bit shit.
1: Well, to be fair, it's a bit of like the last minute thing. As you go along and you go, oh, I love that and that. That's a bit shit, but I really need to have something else on the wall. So I would better pay a lot of money to get it framed so it doesn't so – mm. to try and make it look a little bit less shit. And then I can either get rid of it or with paintings, as quite often I'll um, sand them down and paint over them to give it a new life and to put something on there that I'm happy with. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a struggle though, isn't it? I and mean, then choosing what to – put out to people and what you want to present of yourself you know I think it's quite brave to put something out that you're not sure about thank you well done <laughs> it doesn't feel brave it just
1: feels a little bit slack really when I'm doing it but um, I think showing work is really tricky having to be able to make that concisive thing of going this is what I've done all this work now I need to cut it down and choose the key pieces which can then carry it and then you go okay now I've got to put in a couple more Mm. just to fill up the space Mm. or to make it make another one stand up Mm. and yeah because some things that I love have never sold or they'll be they'll not be the ones that people love Mm, that's right yeah but they're the ones that I love and that's where Mm. my heart is yeah And And that's that's probably
0: why it's good to put up something you think might be a bit shit, because somebody will think it's amazing. Yeah, or else no one thinks it's amazing because it's just a bit shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that too. Yeah, it's an interesting one though, isn't it? I mean, how do you find showing your work? Have you done much of that? I've done bits and pieces, mainly in group shows. And um,
1: I've always found it really fun, fun working up to an event and then having that initial party. It is tricky though because you kind of go, you kind of want to give it a bit more energy as you go along as the show is actually happening. But quite often the funds already happened, the results happened, you've got the show up there. And so having to keep the love alive for the duration of that show is a little bit like, oh, here we go again. Mm. I did have a solo exhibition last year. I think it was last year. seems last year was really long, so it's hard to tell. And that was amazing. It was great seeing all my work. I could hang it exactly the way I wanted to, and it was just really fulfilling to also have something to work up to. Yeah, to have an event where I could where I could go. Okay, I need to have this many paintings. I want to have this series. This is something I like, so now I need to have something else to go with that mm, to support it. So yeah. it's not just one thing. Most of the time, when I'm putting work into a show, I'll do just a one-off piece or I'll do a piece which I think will fit the show and try and keep it in line with my other work so that it's not diverting, it's more building on things that I've already done Mm. I've got at the moment with um, I have earlier on the year there was a show and I painted a cargo ship for that so it kind of fitted in with the environmental stuff that that the show was about trying to talk about New Zealand summers but it also still kind of kept true to what I was also doing with my other work that wasn't a part of that. Mm. I've been trying to work out how to show these really big ships I've been painting and they're on paper, which also makes them a little bit trickier, but they're about two meters long wow, and about a meter high. And so I'm loving them and I love doing them. Mm. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, what happens to them next? How do I get them out of my studio? But
0: that would be an amazing show to have
1: oh, yeah. many large works. I'm working on a Navy fleet. I've done a couple of other ships. I've done the Rangitata, which is a ship that my dad came to New Zealand on. And I've painted that ship quite a few times, so I know it quite well. I've got a really good relationship with it. And then I've also got the Love Boat, which I spent a lot of time watching when I was a teenager <laughs> on TV. And, that, and then I've got this the, these Navy frigates, which...
0: Uh, just amazing. So, just going back a little bit, Emma, can you tell us about that that series? So, they're they're paintings of boats. They're paintings of ships. Of ships. Yep.
1: I re- um I recently heard about the terminology of a ship portrait, and I was like, that just sounds magical. Mm. A ship portrait. A portrait. A ship is sitting there for us to paint it, and I love that actually. The whole genre, because I love that genre. I love walking in somewhere and you see so many people have got their houses for these amazing historical ship paintings. And it starts off with the Auckland Art Gallery where you go along and you can see all the the, the settlers coming in and the way they painted the waka Mm. as well with those and that whole genre. And so I'm trying to kind of fit in with that and nudge it away. And... Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. But there are a lot of ships to paint. Mm. I started off with sailing ships. I paint them in profile because that's quite nice and a little bit easier than doing it, th- than getting in, trying to get in your angles right. The perspective. The perspective, yep. that's it.
0: And do you take those from photographs?
1: Um, my dad gave me the first ones which were from the Ring Tata, which is the ship he came over on when he was five. So that was photographs. Some of them I have taken photographs when I've been out and about when we've gone on holidays. I'll see a cool boat and I'll be like, oh, that barge looks really flat and angular. I could do that. <laughs> and other ones I've found, especially when I was did this exhibition last year, I was just scrolling through images of boats on Google to find things that looked really, that I thought were really interesting mm. and I thought would translate well into what I was trying to do, which was uh, kind of a textured greeny turquoisey background with this boat port- ship portrait floating on top of it, not being at all tied down by a horizon line. And they did so yeah, sailing boats look great with that mm. as well. And mm. this I have been trying to now being more interested into bring in a horizon line with the ships, which doesn't sound that big, but when I look at them, it is really cool.
0: It mm, would be great. Yeah, it. yeah, but I do quite like the way you have just kind of like a block of colour around your boats, your ships as well. I, I like that sort of simplicity. I mean, it has got a kind of naivety about it in a way. Is that how mm. you see your work? Yeah, totally. Totally. I love the naivety.
1: It kind of breaks everything down to really simply to just line and colour and keeping a really limited palette with the colour, most of the colour coming from the background Mm. and just using ink and a bit of white paint. And I started bringing in a bit of red, which is because I've noticed through looking at lots of images that a lot of the historical ships all have red on them. And part of that is the red flag, which was from New Zealand ships that were registered in London. And if they were registered in London, they had a red flag on them. And so I've been picking up little bits of information and cool bits like that to kind of make them pop a bit more. Mm. And from that also, I started looking at flags and looking at the flag alphabet. And that's also another little side thing is kind of celebration the celebrations and the also the communication aspect of the shipping flags for me. Mm. Is, yeah, but it works. the colour works really well with the colour palette that I've got. Mm.
0: So you're actually trying to get it exactly. You you're not you're not trying to recreate the colours necessarily.
1: No, I'm just trying to pick up bits and pieces which then will reference mm. reference what was going on. Um I think that if I was doing it exact, I have done some boats really very similar very similar line drawing and I don't find them as interesting.
0: So just kind of taking away from the exactness. Mm. So you feel you, you enjoy doing a bit of research and finding actual boats, but then taking them to where you want to take them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And recently the boats that I've been painting have been more actual boats that people have said, oh, my dad, my mm. dad, this was my granddad's ship. He, he went to Tahiti and he was a postmaster. And, oh, my, sh- my family rented the, sh- the boats that shipped cargo up and down the Kuiper Harbour from Dargaville. And so I hear these stories and then I try and find those boats.
0: Mm. So and then, do you actually have sort of purposeful discussions with people to try and no. get this information or does it just come to you?
1: No, you just stand there and everyone comes and tells you how they live on a boat. Or they sail around New Zealand when they were six and you stand there and they say, oh, blah, 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 mm.
0: ship, blah, blah, blah uncle, oh. So that's when you have your work in a gallery and, and you're you're there. And people are responding to what they can see and then tell their own stories, is it?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and I think we've been, I, my, my art studio is in Helensville and every year we have Arts in the Ville, which are over Labour Weekend. So we get a lot of people come through there. And so recently having something I found with the ships is a lot of people come through and they see them and they then tell me their stories. Mm. And I can quickly write write boats names down and then mm. go and find them. I've also done a couple of commissions in a similar way. Like from that, from
0: people going, oh, blah blah. Do you do this? And I'm like, well, yes, I can do that. Mm. And then you, um, you know, people are happy for you to take it where you want to take it. Yeah. You know, I mean, do you ever find that somebody's wanting you to recreate the exact boat, or they like your style, obviously, so they're happy for you to go well, with it? Yeah, I had this great this
1: um this great person who is who I've been have these amazing conversations with, and he wanted me to paint the rangitata again for him. Because his auntie came over on it and so I did that and he was like oh actually I liked it better with the hull and at first I was like hang on a minute and then I went actually this is cool. So it's really I found that really interesting as then go, having to go along and work it out for my, in my head to get my head around the fact that what I had wasn't quite right mm. and then being able to do it again and that being like really good. And the second one I did was amazing. Really? Yeah.
0: So you enjoyed that process, you didn't find it frustrating? Oh,
1: awkward. Yeah. Awkward. But actually once once I worked through the awkwardness, it was great. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well that's a good way to look at it. Sometimes commissions can be
1: Oh, they're frightening.
0: Frightening. Really frightening.
1: Like how do you start when someone's got a when someone's gives you something precious and they really want this to be made into
0: something amazing. Mm. Mm. Especially like, when it's deeply personal. Yeah. And telling stories for them. Yeah. yeah. Which is what
1: commissions are, aren't they? That someone's yeah. going, I think this will work and you're like, Fuck, I hope it works
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's so good though. I mean so it sounds like you you're interested in lots of different things in, in the process, especially around the ship paintings. You know, the stories that people have to tell and the actual vessel and how it looks. Um, and then kind of playing with it in your own way doing the research, that kind of thing. So where do you think, I mean, apart from your dad coming out from England on a boat, where has that fascination come from? I'm not sure. Well, my mum,
1: that's what my mum said, is that she thinks part of it is is when I was a baby jumping on and off little boats going around the Solomon Islands. Um, I think a lot of it is doing countless road trips around the country and seeing that beautiful landscape, and every now and then you'll see a boat just sitting there. And we used to spend a lot of time driving over the, north, um, the Greenhithe Bridge when we were teenagers. And there was always this like beaten up barge with ripped up tarpaulins covering it. And that was a really big landmark, especially for we never really spent much time on the North Shore. So for us coming from West Auckland to there, that was my landmark. Mm. And I'd photographed that ship. And I still look at it now and I'm like, where did it go? Who took it? It sounds like you need to write a book. (laughs) Where would you start? Could I do it in like three hours?
0: Like at the last minute? No. No, no. no, Emma.
1: I did just think if I was driving over here, it would be really cool because the next Art in the Ville will come up in Labour Weekend. It would be really cool to get with the other women in my studio and to put together a little design of our work. Nothing professional, just like this is our stuff. here's a crossword at the back to do. And so I thought, oh, I better tell Hannah that. She'll, Mm. She'll love it. So I thought... Yeah, that's that might be the starting point of my
0: book. A really, really averagely put together magazine. Love it. Yeah, it's a great idea. So I know that you um, you have a collective in Helensville and you work with other people in a studio. So how does that work? Do you go up there every day, or um, you know parts of the week? And how do you find working with other other artists?
1: Well, um, it's actually pretty funny because we call ourselves the Railway Collective, and then for about a year there was just two of us and someone came up and she was like how many is in your collective we've got like 16 and we said oh we've got two <laughs> so for a little while it was a bit of a joke but it just is a really good name for the studio which is right next to the railway station
0: is it what sort of building is it
1: um it's a it's a, it's not the refreshment room It's the admin room because there is an old safe in the corner tucked in that we can't open, but it's got amazing high ceilings. It leaks in winter. It's got bad lighting and it's really, really cold. But I've got two other women in there at the moment with me, Hannah Arnold and then Shona Cameron. And we kind of hook up every now and then. I go there on Mondays because that's my day I don't work. Unless, of course, I'm running around doing appointments or having to go to the bank or take someone to the dentist I've done that a lot lately
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I go there Mondays and I try and stay there as long as I can in winter it's a bit harder I can probably do about two hours three hours max just for how cold it is and we try and meet up we've been we had a we had one night last term where we all kind of met up together and we're going to try and do that a bit more so not more of a not so much making work, but just as a discussion time mm. to kind of hang out and talk about things. and I'll bring up my great idea of my crappy magazine. That would be a great time for that. <laughs> and it's really cool seeing other people's work and having other people in the space. I love being able to put anything anywhere. My big paintings take up quite a bit of room, so I've had to kind of work out how to tuck them over a wall, but we've got this great wall, they just kind of fold right over the top in there and yeah we do the Arts in the Ville which last year were really jam-packed we had five of us in there I think kind of trying to get enough space to put up our work but it's a really great having these amazing women around to chat to mm. and to share jokes with and then people can come in and talk to their work and we could tell them about other people's work because it's always a bit nervous yeah. telling someone about your own stuff yeah it always feels nicer to talk about other mm. people
0: that's nice um, sort of Supportive, collegial, yeah. It's it's thing. our collective. It's it's yeah. what it is, really. Which is great, and that's Helensville, which is just north of um, Huapai where you live. So that's like twenty, minute, 20 minutes. Twenty. Yeah, twenty minutes. Yeah. Twenty
1: minutes on a fast road. Yeah. There's an amazing bakery. There's lots of great op shops to visit on the way, in it took me a long time
0: to just go straight to my studio. I bet that's a great place. Mm. Great community. And um, so how has that influenced the way that you work or your practice? Do you find you're more productive having a separate studio?
1: Yeah, it's given, me, it's given me the opportunity to make larger works and also given me the opportunity to step back and then come back without it being a rush or a problem. Mm. And I had to kind of, first I had to make myself go every, every Monday and then it became easy once I got the hang of it. So I have a ritual, I go in, turn the lights on, make the cup of tea, sit down, look at my work. And then I'll start to do things. I have to try and remember because I don't write anything down anymore. What I was going to do last time, and I'm like, oh yes, that's right, that's what I'm going to do. And it's made me really disciplined. And it's at first it was really good for me not to have anyone else there while I was there because I would just do my process rather than trying to talk to other people or get distracted. So I could just fully absorb myself and trying to get trying to find information and paint my ships. Mm. Yeah.
0: And um, what do you love about your creative process? I mean, how does it work exactly? I love that I could do it anywhere. It could actually,
1: it's so, apart from I love my studio and everything in there is amazing. Like the things I can do my drawing at home, I can do my stitching in the car. I've kind of built up those, built up different aspects to it so that I can, so that I don't have to be really cemented in one way, mm. so I can be flexible. And I think it probably comes down to as well as a kid, making you know making sculptures at the beach and making drawing in the sand. That kind of thing is actually just working out where you are mm. and working around and looking with the elements to do that. I mean, we all made shell necklaces when we were teenagers, tied you know, plaited flax, stripped it back, plaited it, tied it around our necks, and wore them, you know, till till it all fell off. And they were really manky and that was a part of it. And I think that's the same part of that creative process is just going wherever you are and being able to pick something up and fiddle with it Mm. so that you can see it a different way.
0: And it's often like that when, you know, as a mum, a busy mum, you're kind of just grabbing the moments you can between, you know, looking after your kids and sorting out the family and and then also working for you as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really big thing is it has to be able to work in with the kids and the fact that I can sit there and do it, or they can say something and I'll pick up an idea from them. Mm. Sometimes I'll sit there and they'll just ignore me, and other times they'll come and all join in, which is awesome. Mm. But I have found that with things like sick days and things, I'll, in the school holidays, I can't visit my studio on the school holidays because the kids just want to eat so much food, and they get really bored after a short time. Mm. And I also need to have, still need to have that space where I don't have to answer someone's Asking me 10 times how much longer we're going to be here for. Yeah. So I have got to a good place. It's like, okay, it's just not happening. No, well, that's your sacred space. Yeah, yeah. And I don't do a lot of journaling. I keep in my head thinking that I would like to journal. I've got some
0: really nice journals, (laughs) but I just can't be bothered. Mm, Not at the moment anyway. I mean, that might might change as you end up, you know, that your children need you less. Yeah, well, I think as well a part of it is because – because I can
1: just draw draw on a piece of paper, I just draw on a piece of paper instead or on the back of a box or cutting out a cardboard box so you get a plain bit mm. from and so I don't need to put that journaling, put those put those drawings in a book because they can be right on the wall where mm. I want them to be. Mm. And I think as well with lots of research that I've been doing is I end up just carrying around pieces of paper in my car and in my studio, and if I had a journal, then it's just full of pieces of paper that I still have to carry around with the journal. Mm. So the idea is is that journaling's great, but
0: not at a place where I'm at. Yeah, and you just kind of work in the way that it works for you at the time.
1: Yeah, and also whenever I start to look at my journal, is I just want to make a really good-looking page. It's not necessarily about the process. It's just trying to get a great-looking page that looks like I've put lots of thought into it. Mm rather than just trying to write a really practical list. The same list I write every single time when I open my journal, which is, mm. you know, buy screws, buy some more varnish. Don't forget this. Draw a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and I draw can just draw a cool boat. <laughs> draw a cool, Wash off the other boat and draw a better one.
0: I like it. But, you know, journaling is obviously not part of the process at the moment, but you obviously kind of like the idea, so maybe yeah. it will come. Love the idea.
1: I love a really good notebook. Um, I think that I like a notebook, not specifically for journeying, but just for everyday things. Mm. So having the list, which I love a good list, especially when you can cross it off in different ways and then being able to have that alongside drawings and handing it to someone when they're bored in the car and writing that stuff down and having just an everyday thing rather than a specific, a specific journaling for my artwork. Mm. So the other journaling, the life stuff is great. The yeah. artwork one I'm just not interested in at the moment.
0: No, but that may come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as your children get older, how old are they at the moment? Gala's eight, Beatrice is 11, and Oscar's 13. Wow. Yeah. So as they get older and and less dependent, can how can you see your practice changing or evolving? I'm not sure, actually. I think it kind of just keeps flowing
1: I haven't got a long term goal with it I think there's some things that I'd like to be able to do with my work but it's not time restricted or place restricted it's more that I just like it's things like I'd really love to do some jigsaw out and do some silhouette cutouts but at the moment I just can't be bothered Mm. so there's that kind of no I can't be bothered it's just that for me the effort bringing things back and forth and then trying to do that and maybe it not working out is more restricting than the fact I've got kids because mm. they've just always kind of flopped in with everything as it goes. And they kind of hang out and they come to openings and they eat all the chips, which is great because that's really good for them. <laughs> <laughs> to go to places, eat chips and drink all the juice. And, yeah, but also to yeah. be
0: exposed to all of that great art and, and to see their mum making, you know, through their lives is awesome.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's, it's good It's pretty for them. fun.
0: And they'll probably, they'll probably do, the, do the same.
1: Yeah, I keep trying to take them to, the, I take them to the art gallery and it's a really quick visit. It's nothing like looking at a lot of in-depth things. It's just like, let's do this floor, then we'll do that floor, then we'll do yeah, that floor. That's it's the way to do it,
0: I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. They're lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. And um, in the future, I mean, where, where do you see yourself going? Have you got any idea... I mean, I know you want to stick with the boats for a while, the ships. Um, I would love to
1: get up, I guess, get up the courage to find an exhibition, to have an exhibition for my large ships. I'm a little bit hesitant partly because they are on paper and the art preservity, and just the fact it's on a really heavy paper. I kind of love working on it, but then I'm a little bit scared of... How do you take that into another space? How do you put a price on that? Mm. How do you hang it when you, you get do, somewhere else? you think else?
0: about doing a print? Prints?
1: Um, I would. These are really big though. You wouldn't be able to. Mm. Mm. You probably could somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Every now and then I think about a t-shirt for my dad with a print of a boat on. Mm. But it's, It only cool. comes around once a year on his birthday that I think about it and I have still haven't done it. T-shirts would be good. Maybe next year he'll be lucky.
0: Yeah. Mm. Very good. And um, I know that you don't have a website, Emma, so um, how do you find sort of the commercialism of, of art making and, you know, in respect to what you create? Do you, um, do you feel a need to be selling or are you not really interested in that side of things at the moment? Are you making for yourself and doing the odd show or where, where do you sit with your commercialism <laughs> and your art?
1: Um, I kind of sit on the scared side of it It's going, it's really scary to self-promote And I don't know how to self-promote Or Having a website Would be Fun But then having to update it I don't know how to make a website Whether the idea as well, I guess for me in my head I think you must have enough work to put on a website and self promotion for me is I have a little Instagram page, which I put things out from there, which isn't very much self promotion because I gave up Facebook, which seemed to have a slightly bigger reach. Being in the Helen'sville Art Trails, call, cool. they've got a lot more promotion wise at the moment. The last couple of years for that, I think it's something which I avoid. I wrote the bio for this and that was kind of cool because I knew I really had to. It's good for me to write this mm. and to get, it, get the story straight in my head. Mm. But being able to talk about my art is really tricky. And the idea of pricing it is hard too. Mm. That as well as where I think about with my big ships, like I said before, is they're on paper. How do you take that into a gallery and put a price on it? Mm is really yeah. tricky for me to get my head around.
0: It is. I mean, I think a lot of artists struggle with that kind of thing or, you know, people who are just starting to make would find that sort of thing pretty daunting. So it's uh, it's a really good thing to talk about, I think. Yeah. You know, a lot of people would relate to it. So, uh, I mean, is it something that you want to get your head around and, and get support for and make it happen or is it something you're not super interested in?
1: I'd like to make it happen. Um I am a little bit not interested in it, but I would like to make it happen because it would be really cool to be able to, I guess, get a little bit more validation, which is what selling your work does. gives you validation that you're kind of on the right path and you're doing something which is tangible, Mm. especially when we all spend all this money on paints and paper and boards and spend all this time on it and paying for studios. Mm. It would be really cool to be able to make something, make some money out of it. Mm. I find that things like... Being able to when you when I'm not selling is framing works I've had this I I love these beautiful frames which are a tray frame and they're really expensive and that would be awesome to be able to be able to still frame them and have them present them the way that I'd like to
0: yeah
1: and not feel that I'm just kind of putting money into a barrel that's then going
0: to go this beautiful picture on my mantelpiece mm, yeah that's such a tricky one I mean, it's nice, you know, when you have your works in galleries, people respond really positively to them. And, you know, probably it it would be a gift to kind of put more stuff out there for people to enjoy and potentially buy, Mm. you know. It's just getting your head around that idea that uh, people will want it, which they will. And I think as well getting my head around the fact that, you know, I'm a
1: 43-year-old woman who lives in Huapai. How do you – how does that translate into – an art scene. That's not a community based or as an extension.
0: It's an extended community base. But it shouldn't be about who you are, where you live or No, Hello, no. You
1: know? No, totally. Of course it shouldn't be. But that's in my head is going, Well, what is this? Is this like a little is it also is it seen as like a little housewife hobby? Mm. Yeah. And how do we take it out of that realm mm. and get your head, get get my head in the game
0: to talk about it in a way that sounds intelligent. Mm. And that is, you know, it's such an interesting discussion, isn't it? I mean, we could talk for hours about that. And I think there's so many people, especially at the beginning of their creative journey, who are struggling with that. I I just believe it's just a matter of you pushing to, to create, make work, get it out there. Because as you say, the validation from other people is the thing that sort of gives you that encouragement and that sort of push to Mm. keep producing sometimes. I mean, some people don't need that.
1: Yeah, I'm saying that like when when a work doesn't sell or when I haven't sold a work, I actually am really happy to have it back. Yeah. And I have got this point as well that if I put something in in an exhibition, I'm actually really happy to have it sitting around for another couple of years so then I can add to it. Mm. Like I said with these two records that I had framed together, is now they're all kind of together and I can just build on that collection. Yeah. Which will then one day become something more than just a one object. That's right. And so the fact that I can make work that I love is, counterbalances the commercial side of it yeah. for me, when it's also an
0: outlet and it's a freedom and it's a... But you say you're uh, you're kind of scared of, of putting yourself out there in, in the website <laughs> kind of world, but then you do show your work at... at Local galleries and, you know, so for some for some that would be terrifying doing that. Yeah, so from, you've kind of got over that hurdle. Well,
1: that for me is comfortable.
0: Yeah, it's kind of working out. The next step is the bit that's uncomfortable. Yeah, and going from
1: a community from the local community gallery, which is amazing, going from the local community gallery into something outside is what's uncomfortable for me. It's mm. putting the work in there. Oh yeah, I can quickly whip that up,
0: mm.
1: get that framed together in the last minute, and it's great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it's great to talk about it because I, I really believe there's a lot of people who are making, you know, especially at the beginning of their journey, who feel the same. So, you know, it's, it's nice. I'm sure it's reassuring to some people to hear your story because, um, you know, they're not the only ones feeling like that. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, and it's good to acknowledge your vulnerabilities. Yeah.
1: I think it's also really cool to have something which can sit there and plot away in the background and doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be the main focus right now. It can just be something which supports, like for me, my work as well, it supports me and my mental health and, yeah. and my creativity and my family. And it gives us, my family, a whole nother expressive outlet when they can come down and hang out up my studio and be crazy railway children. And my husband can come to exhibition openings and he can play his turntables at the show opening and then... That can quietly plot away. Mm. It doesn't have to explode.
0: That's right.
1: It can just be something which sits there mm. and just supports other aspects. Yeah. And I guess it's what involved as well for me having a practice which involves lots of different bits, pockets, kind of does that in the same
0: way. Mm. Yeah. It totally. all supports the
1: core rather than yeah. having to stand by itself.
0: And it's just being true to yourself and what's, what's meaningful to you, mm. making and... What you do with the making, it's up to you.
1: That's right, and I go through different headspaces. Right now I'm a really good headspace about it. Other times I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I've just paid another month of studio rent and I've just paid this much in framing and I haven't got anything out of it. But right now I'm like in a really good place mm. going, this is cool, it's a part of me, it's a part of my life and yeah. that's that's awesome. And that's
0: great, yeah, it's a mm. gift. Oh, that's really interesting, Emma. Thank you for sharing that. Um, just finishing up... So I have a couple of questions for you. Mm -hmm. Firstly, um, what do you do for your time out or do you ever have any?
1: I have actually started doing the word finds in the back of the newspaper. We've been getting it every day for a little while, which I think about cancelling all the time because the sports reporting is really sexist. They never mention anything about women's sports at all. Mm -hmm. So I go through these moments of going, I have to cancel this, this is ridiculous, to... Oh, but I really like the word that um that that, the word thing in the back. And the number cruncher, I really like those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So
1: I started doing
0: that. And
1: I also was eating drinking coffee outside away from my family is a really nice way to do that. Get a bit of space too. Yeah. Um, I have a beautiful garden which I'm always weeding. I'll go down and get a bit of lettuce out of it and weed it in the morning before I go anywhere to get a just to kind of nip in there and get a bit more I guess energy and a different kind of vibe as well, especially mm. with the morning rush.
0: Yeah, get into it's, nature.
1: Yeah, and having friends and laughing. Work's great too.
0: What do you actually do for work?
1: Oh, I work in the brewery. I do, I work in the warehouse. I do inventory and logistics. Oh. Yeah, move a bit of beer.
0: Interesting. In yeah. Helensville or? No, in Riverhead. Oh, ah, there you go. There you go. At Halitar Brewery. Very cool. Didn't know that. Um. So, you have already given us lots of advice, I think, and you know, food for thought. But um, what advice would you give someone starting out on their creative journey? Um, I would say to them, don't listen to that voice
1: which tells you you have to be creative. I would say that creativity is a feeling inside you. It's not a label, and there are lots of different ways to be creative and we get so bogged down with the idea that being creative is about being able to hold a pencil and draw in a representational way and so I think that breaking out of that and just doing what makes your heart sing and getting a bit uncomfortable and being around people going somewhere like to a class if that works for you where you can just be there and be in the same zone as everyone else and you're all learning at the same time but yeah, creativity is limitless And it's got nothing to do with how you draw. It's got more to do with the way your brain thinks and the branding that we put on kids from a really early age about whether they're creative or not. And the stories that we tell ourselves or we tell our families or we listen to people is really damaging because it doesn't have to be like that. That's what I would say.
0: Just do it. Just do it. That's what I would say. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many adults, isn't there, who say, I'm not creative I can't draw. Yeah, you know those kind of negative comments, which have come from their childhood, probably. Yeah, and
1: then they feed those comments feed down into it because Mm. the idea that you have to be creative to be able to make something is ridiculous.
0: Mm. Everyone's got that potential.
1: Yeah, and it could be cake making. Doesn't it? Doesn't have to be Mm. necessarily putting pen on a paper. Yeah, it can be. There's so many different ways to be creative, and it totally comes from whatever's in your head and your heart, and being able to kind
0: of ignore the idea of creativity and just get on with it. Mm. Great advice. Well, Emma, I need to wrap up, but thank you so much for coming out in the middle of the night <laughs> to Mirawai from Huapai. And, uh, you know, I've met you at Kumu Arts a while ago and, and uh, was just instantly drawn to your beautiful personality and your twinkle in your eye. And I love the way you're always the one shouting out when there's uh, something happening. <laughs> <laughs> I also clap really loudly when I get bored. I'm that person too, Okay, in case good you to didn't realise that one. And uh, yeah, it's been lovely chatting. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the things you have to say will be really enlightening for people and mm. encouraging. So thank you so much. Thank you for
1: having me. This has been really cool. I was really excited and really nervous. And
0: it's just been cool. It's been great to talk because we all just want to talk. Yeah, and it's nice to record your, your thinking and your story. Yeah, my kids are really excited to hear about it. I'm sure they'll be yeah. very proud. So uh, thanks, Emma. Thank you,
1: Mandy.